Over a period of 20 years, the Long Island serial killer is suspected of murdering up to 16 people and dumping their bodies along the Ocean Parkway in Long Island. These crimes have never been solved, and as a result, the families of these victims have never seen justice. Some of these victims have never even been identified. This is Ossuary, and we're investigating the Long Island serial killer. Hey guys, and uh, welcome to our podcast. Hello. Welcome. Hello and welcome. Hello. Um, my name is Sydney. Uh, I am a graduate student at Columbia University. I study American art history. Um, so research is pretty much my life. Um, in undergrad, I did some forensics work, uh, mainly forensic anthropology. I can correctly identify cause of death in most skeletal remains, Not which is a pretty cool thing, I guess. <laughs> a little humble brag. I've been interested in true crime for pretty much my whole life and hoping to use some of the skills that I have to make a difference. And also, I'm a dog mom to my sweet potato of a dog mickey (laughs) um and yeah so i'm emma as you can probably tell from my accent i'm australian um so definitely far across the pond over here in new york where we're recording this um so i'm a data analyst during the day but i also have a background in archaeology i uh, worked as an archaeologist for about five years so this has really developed my skills in analytics and just really that desire for attention to detail and to look through the cracks to see the evidence that, you know, might not be on the surface. Um, I love cats. I love true crime, obviously, and I love heavy metal. Um, I'm a fur mom to my cat, whose name is Uncle Morty, um, who is adorable, and I'm obsessed with him. I miss him right now. (laughs) Um, Hey, guys, I'm Sarah. I'm a librarian with a background in archival work and research. I'm a super avid reader, always have been, always will be. I was an English major in college, and now I work in a library surrounded by books that I actually don't read in my spare time. So that's a little contradictory. Um, As you can tell from my non-accent, I am not from Australia. I'm a native New Yorker, born and raised. I grew up in Manhattan and Westchester. So technically, I won't call myself New York City bred because I feel like that's co-opting. I am also a fur mom to a sweet baby angel named Leo. He's a three-year-old orange tabby, and he's the absolute light of my life. So really sorry, Alan. I think you know where you stand on this, but I love you nonetheless. Um, yeah. Welcome to our podcast. Before we get started, we wanted to acknowledge some of our sources for this episode. A full list can be found on our website, ossuarypodcast.com. One of our main sources for this episode is Robert Kolker's book, Lost Girls, an Unsolved American Mystery. We've also taken some information from various New York Times articles, which we'll have on our website, The Killing Season, a documentary on A&E, Murderpedia, Reddit, and the ever-resourceful websleuths.com. If you have any information regarding the Gilgo Beach murders or Long Island serial killer, we want to encourage you to go to gogonews.com where you can make an anonymous report and submit it to the authorities. Thanks. Okay, guys, so let's just take a moment to acknowledge why should we be talking about it to begin with. Um, So altogether, we read the book Lost Girls by Robert Kolker, and we asked ourselves, what can we be doing to get people to talk about this case again and get people to care? And what really drew us in is it's never been solved, so the victims have never seen justice, and the families have never had closure. One of the issues surrounding this case is because the victims of these crimes were sex workers, 
there is a misconception that they are the less dead due to their profession and that this is the lifestyle they entered into, therefore whatever happens to them is their own fault. And we're here to say that's absolutely not okay. And we just want to reiterate that while we're going to be discussing the circumstances um, that led to their deaths, we need to remember ultimately we are talking about people who deserve justice and their families deserve answers. Definitely. Yeah, I think um, when we first read the book Lost Girls, we all sort of couldn't understand how this could not have been solved. I mean, it's a recent case. It's so many women that were killed. Um, And it's just really crazy how the press coverage sort of died out after a couple of years. And because of the work that these women were in, it was really easy for the police department to sort of just brush it off. off. Yeah. Um, And yeah, so we're hoping that maybe this might help. Well, that's all we can do, right? Right. I mean, we're living in this time where there's a prevalence of citizen detectives and it's much easier for the average person to get actively involved and shed light on cold cases. And while the phenomenon of true crime isn't new in any way, shape, or form, I think that there is a much higher acceptance in the interest of it these days. And since the publication of Robert Kolker's book, there's actually been a lot more activity on the case and there's even been the Netflix film, which is going to be coming out later this month. Mm -hmm. So... I guess we should just get into it. Let's get into it. So with the Long Island serial killer, we really need to start from the beginning, and the beginning is Shannon Gilbert. It's not a clear timeline. There's still a lot of questions and conflicting testimony, but essentially it starts with Shannon and dissolves into a crazy case involving one or maybe two serial killers. This definitely isn't going to be a linear story. Absolutely not. So shortly after 5 a.m. on May 1st of 2010, Shannon Gilbert was seen running down the street of a quiet, gated community called Oak Beach in Long Island. She was screaming, they're trying to kill me. This was the last time that Shannon was ever seen alive. The search for Shannon Gilbert led investigators to a gruesome discovery. It revealed the burial sites of over 10 individuals, all located on the 17-mile-long Jones Beach Island. Before we get into what happened that night, let's take a moment to find out who Shannon was. I think we should get to know her as a person because ultimately these victims were women just like us trying to make it in the world and unfortunately they met an incredibly grisly fate. Definitely. Um, And I think that kind of in understanding Shannon as a person, what I really want to address beforehand are these preconceived notions that tend to be carried about sex workers, Mm -hmm. that they just don't have support systems, that they lack aspirations, or they take on this role out of a sort of desperate necessity. And that kind of mentality leads to diminishing victims. That's the they did this to themselves mentality that you talked about earlier, Emma. And that's just not the case with Shannon. She had friends, she had her sisters, she had her mother, she had a boyfriend, and all of these people cared about her, and she cared about all of them Mm -hmm. and really Shannon just viewed sex work as a way to fulfill greater dreams or as a stepping stone to move on to something bigger you know what we really want to emphasize here is Shannon was an incredibly smart gifted young woman she graduated a year early from high school and she wound up taking nursing classes at the same time that she was working various jobs she was a bright vivacious young woman and she was a free spirit she liked to stay out late she enjoyed the company of her friends and her boyfriend 
But after a year of doing nursing school and work at the same time, she decided to quit these endeavors because she saw something bigger for herself. She believed that she could achieve something bigger and she could build a life that would bring all the people that she cared about together and give them what they all wanted. And she never stopped trying to build that for herself. She was working as a receptionist when she came across an ad in the paper for an escort service and it piqued her interest. So she inquired and she was hired immediately. I mean, this is a girl that's not just beautiful, but she's intelligent and she's confident. And with those qualities, she knew she would be able to make money as an escort and she was right but unfortunately it was the same exact trade that ultimately led Shannon to Oak Beach and eventually to her death I guess it just goes to show that with Shannon or really anyone that's labeled as a sex worker, it's really easy for their lives to be overlooked by the police and society in general. It's like people think that they don't have this whole life or family or people that care for them or even prospects, and that's not the case. It's not the case for Shannon or any victim, and it just needs to be said more often. Yeah. Definitely. And Shannon had a really tough time growing up as well, hey? Um, yeah, she did. She was bouncing around the foster care systems in second grade while her sisters, Sarah and Cher, lived with their mother, Mary. Um, and it's really hard for someone, especially a young girl, to sort of go to school with her sisters and have that time with them. And then they go home to separate homes. Wow, that's really rough. And she was also diagnosed with bipolar at age 12, which is really, really young to be receiving yeah. such a, you know, a heavy um, mental illness diagnosis. It's normally not diagnosed till late teens, early twenties. So I'm really surprised that they gave her that, um, you know, that diagnosis so young. Yeah. And I think that had something to do with, or at least according to her mother, it had something to do with her sort of being placed into the foster care system. Um, you know, her mother talked about not being able to deal with her mood swings and troubling behavior, but like, imagine it from Shannon's perspective. She wasn't really able to control herself in certain situations and she was having a tough time. And she had to leave home because of it. And on top of that, being a child Mm -hmm. and having to deal with that, it's hard enough being an adult with bipolar and not like understanding your actions as a kid that I can only imagine that would have been so much worse. Definitely. And, you know, on the other hand, there is a perspective, at least according to Shannon, that her mother actually put her in the system because Shannon didn't get along with her mom's boyfriend. Oh. Um, Which is also really troubling and it's really sad and i'm sure you know we'll never really know what the dynamic was it probably fell somewhere between there but Mm -hmm. we just wanted to let you know everyone know that there are two sides to that story and shannon did have a really sort of rough and tumultuous childhood um but she was still like a really ambitious and smart woman and really loved you know even with the difficult dynamics that were in place between like her and her mom her mom still loved her oh absolutely her mom loved her her sisters loved her and she loved them back so much i mean you know there's a lot of people that would sort of react to that situation by pushing away their family Mm -hmm. and shannon didn't do that she really she wanted so hard for them to be together for them to have a life where they were all happy with each other and i mean she was trying to get that life until the day that she disappeared. So even though Shannon began her career as a sex worker through various escort services, the two she worked for were world-class party girls and fallen angels. 
She ultimately chose to freelance through Craigslist. This was for several reasons. Some of the escort services that she worked for were getting flagged by the police, so it was going to be a little bit more dangerous for her to work through them. But she also wanted a little bit more control over her client list and how she made her money. But even though she had a new sense of freedom with her business, it also meant that the added layer of security of having a mediated client meeting was gone. And that added layer of security is super important in a business like this. Definitely. Especially working through Craigslist. I mean, you don't know who you're meeting. These people are contacting you via the phone. And it's a different world. Yeah. Um, so originally, her boyfriend, Alex Diaz, was driving her to her meetings. But after sort of working with him for a little while, she moved on to work with someone named Michael Pack. Pack served as a driver and as an added layer of security. The night of Shannon's disappearance, she was driven to Long Island by Pack, who parked outside of her client, Joe Brewer's house, while Shannon worked inside. Pack was one of the last people to see Shannon alive. He saw her as she ran down the road of the quiet upper-class community, screaming, they're going to kill me. Can we just take a moment to think about how terrifying that would have been? Yeah. Definitely. So it's the dead of the night, the sun hasn't come up yet, everything is completely quiet and out of nowhere this young woman starts blood curling screaming they're trying to kill me yeah i mean it's absolutely terrifying Mm. and like it's really disturbing that you know not more people went outside to help i mean she's running Mm -hmm. down a community that definitely doesn't see this kind of behavior on the regular and they knew something was going on. People could hear it. I mean, if I was sleeping and I heard someone screaming, they're trying to kill me, my first instinct would be to call the police or go outside See and to help. Yeah. Some way. To yeah. help. Yeah. yeah. I mean, these um, people clearly thought that she was more of a danger to them mm-hmm. than anyone was to her because yeah. they didn't help. Yeah. Okay, so now that we know who Shannon was, let's talk about the details of the night she went missing. So, night of. Joe Brewer knocks on the window of the Ford Explorer parked in front of his house. Brewer asks the driver, Michael Pack, seated in the car to, quote, get her out, referring to Shannon. Pack followed Brewer into his home, only to find Shannon displaying this super uncharacteristic, very erratic behavior. And after being approached by Brewer, claiming she won't leave, Pack enters his home and tells Shannon they should go home. And her response is, you guys are trying to kill me. Michael's immediate response is to laugh it off. I mean, that's a ridiculous statement. She knows him, but he admits she seemed really serious. And Shannon then crawled behind the couch. And at that point, Michael becomes almost certain that she's just messing around because that behavior is almost a mirror image of Hunter S. Thompson in the film adaptation of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. And the two of them have watched this countless times. Mm -hmm. They've laughed at that movie at that exact scene because they look at it and they say, like, look how paranoid, ridiculous this guy is being. So he's obviously sort of saying, like, oh, she's pulling one over on me. It's a joke. Yeah. Yeah. She's got to be pulling my leg. And he calls her out and he's like, you're messing with me. You're faking this. But when he calls her out, she doesn't answer him. And she instead starts talking into her cell phone. And it appeared she was calling 911, which is the last thing an escort would ever do. Yeah. And on top of that, Shannon has a record. You know, she was charged with promoting prostitution in 2009. So that makes her even less likely to want to involve the police. Yeah, definitely. So at that point, Michael thinks he's getting set up and Shannon in this frantic state just runs out of Brewer's house and she starts beating on a neighbor's door, Gus Coletti. And when he opens it, he finds this shrieking young woman who the only word he can understand from her is help. Mm -hmm. And upon telling her he's going to call the police, Shannon takes off. She trips down his stairs. She gets her footing back and she continues down the way, knocking on doors in just this straight out panic. That's so terrifying. 
So she actually goes back to the Coletti residence and she tries to hide behind this small boat that he has when he and Shannon notice the headlights of an oncoming car and it slows to a stop in front of his driveway. Mm -hmm. And Gus comes down to speak with the driver and Shannon just bolts. Instead of exiting Oak Beach, however, the exit, which is just a few yards from Gus's driveway, Mm -hmm. Shannon turns down a different road, Anchor Way, and she knocks on another door. No one answers. From Anchor Way, she continues to a street called the Bayou, where Barbara Brennan lives, and she knocks on Barbara's door. And Barbara doesn't open the door, but she does notice the knocking, and she also calls 911. Mm -hmm. Within 45 minutes, the police have arrived, and Shannon is gone. So wait, the last time anyone sees her, it's just after someone's called 911 mm-hmm. and she bolts again. Yeah. Uh, what was she running from? Because I don't think it was the 911 call. I think someone was chasing so her. No, I mean, she clearly called the police because she felt like her life was in danger. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, it's also important to point out that her and Brewer were doing drugs that night. I mean, Pack even says it halfway through their date that Brewer and Shannon go off somewhere together. They say that they have to pick something up. And usually that means drugs. And even though Shannon was under the influence of drugs and alcohol that night, it's still just not normal behavior for her. Yeah, I want to point out, um, the day after Shannon goes missing, Alex Diaz, her boyfriend, calls up Michael Pack to say, you know, have you seen her? Do you know what's going on? And Pack tells him about the night before, and Alex Diaz tells him straight up, that's that's not how she's mm-hmm. behaved. He says, Shannon's done drugs. She's smoked pot. She's done coke. She's tried mm-hmm. a couple prescription drugs, but she's never behaved this way before. Mm-hmm. And I mean, what are the chances that this night, when she does a drug that she's probably done before, this is the night that she has a straight up panic attack from that? Mm-hmm. The night that she goes missing and no one ever sees her again? Yeah. I mean, and also on top of that, the 911 call that she placed was 23 minutes long. Wow. That is a long time for someone who is supposedly playing a prank or doing whatever anyone thought she was doing. She was clearly in fear of her life. She thought someone was following her. She thought that she was in danger. Clearly, something else was going on. You know, she's panicked enough not only to call 911, but she also runs away from the only person that she knows in that area. She runs away from Michael Mm -hmm. Pack, this guy that is there to protect her. The headlights that Shannon and Gus see, that is Michael Pack's car. And the exit to Oak Beach was just a few dozen yards from Gus's driveway, as we said, Mm -hmm. where Shannon does not exit. Michael, however, knowing that Shannon is panicking, knowing that she seemed to be trying to leave, when Michael's driving off, he does exit Oak Beach. Mm -hmm. He exits because he assumes that's what Shannon did. He saw her flee. He knows she wanted to leave. But here's the problem. Michael doesn't have an understanding of the geographic layout of Oak Beach, and so he doesn't know that Shannon ran the exact opposite way. And I find it also really interesting, the Suffolk County Police Department, they argued that she was having a manic episode that night, and that's why she was acting so erratic, and possibly that's why she disappeared as Mm -hmm. well. To me, though, that doesn't ring true, because normally when someone's going to have a manic episode... um, they, uh, there are a lot of like indicators that it's about to happen. Yeah. It doesn't just happen completely out of the blue. And this is from personal experience. Um, it's definitely something that there are indicators beforehand and mm-hmm. you're going to be able to tell that something is going to happen. It yeah. definitely doesn't sound like that was the case here. No, I think even Pac said that you know she was acting completely normal beforehand where they spent so much time together, I think he would have noticed that she was... 
off. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. And she, it would have been evident. I mean. Exactly. And it was only after she'd entered the house and that she had been terrified by what she saw there mm-hmm. and who she encountered there that she started to act this way. And to me, that means that it's something external that's mm-hmm. happened to her. Yeah, like a stressor. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So it's early in the morning of May 10 when Shannon went missing. What happened next? So Shannon is pretty much immediately seen as a missing person. Her family knows something's wrong when she doesn't come home. Her boyfriend knows something's wrong. Um, And her mom pretty much right from the get-go tries to file a missing persons report. But the issue is, is that Shannon went missing in Long Island, but she's from Jersey City. So when her mom called the Suffolk County Police Department, they knew why Shannon was there. Mm -hmm. And they told her pretty much to get lost. Like, they said since Shannon was from New Jersey that she had to file her as a missing persons in New Jersey. So when Mary called the Jersey City Police Department, they said that she actually has to file her as a missing persons in Long Island. Right. She was ping-ponged back and forth for four months, probably because of Shannon's line of work. Mm-hmm. If this were a high-profile case of a woman from that neighborhood who went missing under mysterious circumstances, this would not have been put off for four months. Four months is such a long time. Like, I can't imagine uh, that family going through that, having no answers, her simply Mm -hmm. being missing and no one taking them seriously Mm -hmm. for four whole months. Yeah, and what's worse is that the police essentially tried to blame Shannon. They were telling the family that she was probably off on a bender or she met someone or she ran off for some reason. And that wasn't like her. I mean, you know, she never acted that way. She would have checked in with someone. She would not have just run off. Something was wrong. And on top of that, it's four months for them to look into her missing persons report. By then, if she hasn't come home, she hasn't checked in. I mean, the obvious answer is that something really bad happened. Yeah. And I mean, as we know, the first 48 hours... Mm -hmm. That is the most critical time in a missing persons case. Yeah, definitely. It's insane that it took four whole months to be taken seriously. And it's devastating because, I mean, if this had been done immediately, who knows, we might have a very different story on our hands. Yeah, absolutely. So it took four months for the police to take this seriously, but it wasn't until seven months later that police find any leads on the case. On December 11th of 2010, Detective John Malia is leading Blue, his purebred German Shepherd dog, who is part of the canine unit of the Suffolk County Police Department, through a training exercise along Oak Beach. Malia knew that Shannon was missing, and he also knew those cases were really good training exercises for his dogs because he sort of assumed, you know, she had been missing for this long. That's a long time. They were probably looking for a body at this point. Yeah. So he was out on Oak Beach really looking for Shannon. But when Blue runs off, Malia sort of follows him and he realizes that Blue found skeletal remains. 48 hours later, three more sets of human remains are found in the same area. And they were all buried in burlap sacks. But wait, were any of them Shannon? Nope, not one. What? Hey guys, you ready for some spooky shit?
Cool. So um, at the end of each episode, we're going to be doing a segment called Spooky Shit. And it's just a bit of a palate cleanser because obviously we're dealing with a lot of really heavy topics. So it's just something to leave you at the end of the podcast episode. We're not feeling quite as bummed out as you were when you were listening to it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Also for us too. I mean, it's kind of a heavy topic to just talk about for hours and hours because you guys are getting 30 minutes of this, but yeah. we're sitting here for... <laughs> Several hours. <laughs> I mean, and I'm sure this comes across, but we're doing this because we feel strongly about this. Yeah. We're doing this because we want to highlight the victims. We don't mm-hmm. feel that that's been done enough. No. And when you spend several hours a day focusing on this kind of subject matter, you do want to decompress a little bit. At the yeah. Yeah. And I don't think that in doing this segment, we are detracting in any way, shape, or form mm-hmm. from everything that we're trying to focus on with this podcast. Yeah. Exactly. We just want a little bit of laughter at the end of the day. For and, sure. You know, we all kind of like have a low-key um, obsession for like the X-Files mm-hmm. and yes, the Supernatural yes. and like how cool are ghost guys. Yeah. So <laughs> we just kind of want to bring you a creepy story each week. It might be ghosts. It might be cockroaches. Ah. it might be aliens anything that we've experienced um that we want to share with you that is pretty spooky yeah and (laughs) hopefully if someone is for some reason listening to this podcast um you guys can share with us too we would love to hear from anyone that decides to tune into our podcast (laughs) and has listened to it the whole way through congratulations yeah we're very proud of you (laughs) you made it Congrats. Um, but yeah, you can email us at ossuarypodcast at gmail.com or go on our website, ossuarypodcast.com. And, uh, or know. Instagram too. Slide into our DMs, guys. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so with that, uh, Emma, you want to start off with some spooky shit? Oh, yes, mate. Do I have some spooky shit for you? <laughs> so um, a couple of weeks ago, I went to a conference, a part of work, and it was at this really old hotel in Pasadena, California. Mm-hmm. And so we, it's like a really like beautiful, like Victorian style hotel. And there's this story when we first came there that there is a ghost that haunts one of the ballrooms. Mm-hmm. And apparently he'll, he'll just hear classical music playing from nowhere. And also apparently there is a China cabinet that no one has the key to, but China will just move nope. around. Nope. <laughs> I mean, I feel like of what a ghost is going to do, there's worse things it can do. It's, That's fair. Maybe it's just really meticulous with the way it likes its Honestly, China. Honestly, I feel personally offended by a ghost designing to just move shit around on yes. me. I hate it. So this was the story going into it. Then um, one night, uh, one of my colleagues went into her room and all of the lights were on and the French doors to her suite were open. And she's like, that's kind of weird. But, you know, maybe it was the maids. Maybe, like, for some reason they were in here cleaning mm-hmm. and they decided to open the doors to air it out. Yeah. Um, and so she closed it all up, left the room. She then came back later. The same thing had happened. And at this point, she's getting kind of pissed off because she has a support dog who was there with her. Mm -hmm. And she's thinking, like, crap, my dog could get out. Like, this could be really dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. And so she closes the doors again. She sits down and does some work. So she's working on a laptop. All of a sudden, her dog jumps off her lap, runs towards the wall, and starts growling and barking at nothing. Just nope. staring nope. at the nope. wall, nope. growling and barking. And that's when you know there's a ghost later there. Later days. Right, later <laughs> days. <laughs> so then she feels what feels like a brush of wind go past her. That's sign number two to get the fuck out. Yeah. The dog <laughs> follows this rush of wind and runs across to the other side of the wall and starts barking and growling at this side of the no, wall. No, thank too. you. You guys can't see it, but Sydney is literally <laughs> just shaking her head back and forth. I can't. I, I'm so done with this. I don't 
fuck, I have to sleep alone tonight, guys. <laughs> God <Sorry>. damn it. <laughs> Sorry. Should have brought some sage. Yeah. I have some. There you go. Uh, well, hey, there you go. We can do, we can do a cleansing after this. It's fine. I love that. So by this stage, she's like, fuck this shit. I'm getting the fuck out of here. She leaves her room and goes to her neighbor's room and asks if she can stay there for the night. The neighbor's like, look, I'm sure everything's fine. After she's calmed her down for a while, she brings her back to her room. They come into the room, all the lights are on, the doors are open, and as they enter, classical music starts blasting out of the clock radio (laughs) at full volume. Like, what the fuck? So this story was going around the conference, right? And I'm like, what a fucking cool ghost. This is like... (laughs) Disney haunting. Yeah, this like, is so haunted. This, this, this ghost is super chill. It just wants to like hang out with some this classical is a gateway music. Ghost to fucking nightmare town. Okay, <laughs> right. not okay. So then later that night, I come home after one of the meetings, and as I enter my room, I'm like, something's not right here. All my lights were on, and classical music was playing no. out of my clock fucking radio. Stop. And I was like, what the fuck? So I actually called the front desk. So I was like, surely this is a prank or something. Or like, <laughs> maybe not a prank. Maybe this is just what the maids do. Maybe mm-hmm. <laughs> after they clean your room, they leave, they leave all your lights on and they put on they some classical you music. To, you know, chill out and listen yeah. to some bop. They're trying to put, put you in a zen spot. Well, so I called the front desk. And first of all, the guy that answered sounded super creepy, which was just <laughs> great to add on to the story. It's just lurch from the Adams family. Basically. Yeah. And I explained what happened. He's like, ma'am, that's not a service that the maid offers. I'm like, I'm sorry, what? It's like, we're very sorry, ma'am. It must just be a glitch. A glitch in what? The, the Matrix. matrix? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because like, how does a glitch... Flick your light switches no. on and turn mm. the clock radio on. And they're old school clock radios. It's not like something that can just yeah. turn on. I mean, it, it would have to be an electrical surge. And I think that everyone would notice. Right. Yeah. It wouldn't be just your room. It's not like your room had its own fucking generator. Exactly. Yeah. The generator is a ghost. Right. <laughs> but yeah, I've tried to do research on this, uh, on the property. And I can't find anything of the like origins of the ghost other than the fact that a lot of people have paranormal experiences there. That's so creepy. And I, I'm really glad that the ghost wanted to hang out with me. I have some spooky shit that I don't know if I've told you guys before. I went with my boyfriend, Ben. Hi Ben. Hi Ben. Um, hey ben. <laughs> to Rhode Island for my friend's wedding. Oh, and I know the story you're doing, it, and I'm so excited. <laughs> I don't know this. So, um, so we decided because you know it's Rhode Island, like definitely in a, in a bed and breakfast. So that's what we did. And I found one that was, you know, it wasn't like super super cheap, but it wasn't the craziest one. But it was a beautiful house. It was like a mansion, and one of the rooms that was open was the library. Oh my god! So, stop right there. Yeah. Already sold. Ooh. Exactly resident nerd both of us actually yeah um <laughs> like when you tell me i can sleep in a library the answer is fuck yeah <laughs> so i booked the library i'm super excited we drive all day to get there we pull up and this really nice woman comes out and i notice that there are like there's no cars in the parking lot not one oh except red for flag us. There was something really eerie about it. So this woman, I think her name was Isabel or something like that. She greets us. She tells us to come in. And then she's going to go get her partner, um, who I think was named Susanna, to check us in and, like, have us pay the bill. So she goes inside into this other room. And she comes back out. And we, like, hear 
her whisper. We hear her whispering slash talking. I don't know if it was like a weird insulation, but it sounded like whispering. I didn't hear anyone talking back. And she comes out and she's like, oh, okay, so Susanna is actually not here right now, but um, I can help you. So Ben and I look at each other and we're like, ah. <laughs> also, if you heard that tiny little whine, it's my Mickey. sweet potato of a dog, Mickey, somewhere. <laughs> Our precious oh, baby angel. Here? Yeah, she's down here. Um, so... The woman has, like, all these conversations with herself. And we're like, holy fuck, I don't think there is a Susanna. She's Susanna. And so so Ben says this as a joke to me, but I'm like... Kind of freaked the fuck out. I'm like, fuck. Like, fuck. (laughs) So, So we forget about it. And she's like, let me show you to your room. You're on the first floor. All of our other guests are on the second floor. I'm like, what the fuck? Other guests? I don't see any cars in the parking lot. Like... What is happening? Did you just lead us to murder? This is in just this Bates house? Motel right. version yes, two. <laughs> yes, yes. And so we walk into the library and it's a gorgeous room. I mean, it's huge. It's like got a big king size bed. It's all decked out in like a Victorian style, whatever. And I see that there are bookshelves lining almost every single wall. Yes. Beautiful. That's what I want. I Except for <laughs> the oh, yeah. fact that. Upon closer inspection, every single shelf is just covered in dolls. Fuck that. No, 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 no. I know. What if Susanna is a doll? Oh my god. (laughs) I'm like... I hope you understand that you're sleeping here. Yeah, Susanna is. Did you guys ever see the movie Dead Silence? Shut up, guys. I'm I'm not kidding. I'm not going to be able to sleep tonight. I might have to stay here tonight. (laughs) Fuck. Keep Sydney company. Um, And so the worst part is, is like, first of all, I'm scared of dolls. Like I am scared of dolls. Totally rational. Why did I think they were a good idea when I was a kid? Like, no. I had a mini collection of porcelain dolls as a child. What? They were okay. Relax. They were terrifying children. They were all from Cracker Barrel. They were certainly not. Okay. To be fair. First of all, I never had dolls because I was scared of them like right out of the womb. But my mom had those creepy. Um, hide and go seek dolls. So it's what? like those. You do you not know what? No, and I don't are? want to. <laughs> oh. Sounds like a horror movie. Yeah. It, so they're like about the size of a two-year-old child, Fuck that. and they're made like, out of sized. Yes, and they're made out of cloth, and they have. They're basically meant to be put in the corner. So what? <laughs> they're yeah. They have their hands covering their eyes. And they're like supposed to. I know this sounds no, fucking. Yeah, creepy. why is this a thing? <laughs> is this real? Yes, this it real is. Life? Yes, I can literally call my mom right now, and oh, she will confirm. Please, please don't have her bring the doll. <laughs> they were terrifying. There yeah. was three of them. It was a boy and two girls, and they would be in separate parts. And sometimes my brother would move them. Anyway, so that's why I'm scared of dolls. <laughs> and this room is covered in fucking dolls. This woman, Isabel, leaves. We hear her muttering in the hallway. Ben's like, there's no Susanna. I'm (laughs) freaking out because I'm in a room with so many dolls staring at the bed. Fuck no. (laughs) I am walking around so slowly and looking at each and every doll. And Ben is like, what the fuck are you doing? You, You look crazy. And I'm like, I am memorizing all of their positions because if one of them is moved in the morning, we are not going to my friend's wedding. We're, We're leaving. fucking <laughs> leaving yesterday. Horrifying. Then, I'm, I didn't see one other guest the entire time that we were there. So we go out to dinner, we come back, 
No one's there. It's a huge house. Like, no one's there to the point where, like, Isabel isn't there. I mean, we feel like we're the only people. Not one car. We're going to sleep. And Ben is like, what if this house is just, like, super haunted and we just, like, are the only ones that are really alive here? Maybe, Clearly. <laughs> maybe you'll be Susanna too soon. Fuck. <laughs> ah. So, like. Not, not exactly a comforting thought. No, it's not. <laughs> And, like, he was clearly joking, but I am panicking. You don't joke about that right before bed. Come on, right. Ben. I know. No, um, Ben can joke about that as long as he's fine driving you to another place to I stay know, immediately. I know, I know, and paying for it. Yeah. Thank you very much. So then, literally, he says that, and we hear the loudest thump. <gasps> we haven't seen one person. Not one person. What was it? I have no fucking know, idea. Never no, I never found out. I I freaked out. We couldn't do anything. It was the middle of the night at that point. We had to go to sleep. I had the worst nightmares of people trying to come out of the walls behind the wallpaper. Oh I woke up in the middle of the night and Ben was in the bathroom and I like was convinced that he had been murdered and oh, I'm just no. like next. And I pretty much shit my pants. No, I mean, that's fair. And yeah, that was, I uh, would too. You know, we <laughs> spent was... one night there. <laughs> wow. Well, never again. You yeah. should look up there. I don't even on think, Yelp. I don't even think I saw anyone when we checked out. Because we I paid in advance me... from Susanna slash Isabel. <laughs> slash whoever. <laughs> slash I remember you telling me about the story, but I don't remember the thumb. Yeah, it that was the scariest part. And, like, I just, I literally remember, like, shooting under the covers so yeah, that was my spooky shit. Oh my god. That is pretty terrifying. I would definitely not want to be staying back there anytime soon. No, I wouldn't recommend it. So lately when I've been stressed, I start, I have a dream that I am vomiting my eyeballs out of oh my, my mouth. <laughs> and I, I'm like vomiting like this radioactive green goo. And Jesus. I can see my eyeballs in the sink. But like I can see them. I can literally see my eyeballs being vomited out of my mouth. Like through your eyes? No, both somehow. That's it's kind like of very, I've got some type like... of third eye type of thing happening. And it is terrifying. And I wake up like heaving. Like I physically feel like it's about to happen. And then oh the last time it happened, my first thought was I can't vomit because I'll lose my eyeballs. <laughs> well, I'm, um, so I'm sorry. Re- I'm rescinding the forcing you to sleep here tonight. <laughs> I'm not letting you vomit anything in my day. No eyeballs in the sink, no, please. Thank you. <laughs> Um, yeah, I get stress dreams too, and it's pretty much just about cockroaches. Um, I dream that people are throwing them at me. I dream <laughs> that, um, I'm finding them in my drawers. I dream pretty much, I, I had like one dream maybe two weeks ago, and it was pretty much just that I was at someone else's house. We were eating dinner, and I, there was like a tiny cockroach in the kitchen, and my reaction in the dream was that I needed to set the entire apartment on fire. Honestly, that's fair. That makes sense totally fair. Yeah. I um, would too. <laughs> have you guys seen the original Creepshow movie? Yes. So I'm wearing a Creepshow shirt right now. It's under my sweatshirt, which also has spooky shit on it. Um, but there's a segment, I think it's the very last segment in the original Creepshow, and it's about this like really crotchety old man. It's supposed to be very like Scrooge-esque, who has just fired a super long-time employee of his company, mm-hmm. and this guy is a hygienic 
freak. He lives in very much like a self-contained, self-quarantined building that's like self-cleaning almost. Mm-hmm. And Hey, we need those at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he's on the phone firing this longtime employee when he sees a cockroach come out of the sink. I know and he which goes one you're talking to kill it. About. And the rest of the segment, spoiler alert for those who haven't seen it, go watch it. It's one of the finest pieces of cinematic history from the 80s to ever come out. Unless you're scared of cockroaches. Then don't watch the last segment, but watch the rest of it. You can do what I did and watch (laughs) everything except that. It's still great. So, spoiler alert, this guy's um, apartment just becomes overrun with cockroaches and they just kill him and it's gross. So, there you go. Thank you. I truly... After this conversation, between the ghosts, the dolls, and the cockroaches, <laughs> I have just decided I'm not going to sleep. Mm. I'm going <laughs> all-nighter, I'm going to play video games all night, and that's what I'm doing. Um, okay, well, that is our extra-long spooky shit If segment. you stuck around this whole time, then I'm proud of you. are the best. Yeah, um, on that note... Thanks for listening, guys. This is Ossuary. Over and out.